Well, good morning, good morning. It's going to be interesting to see which clock to follow this morning. So if you uh, get out an hour later, you'll know that I didn't follow the right one. And, uh, you know, repetition works. For days they've been telling me when I get up to put that thing down, and so I haven't been doing it. They left me a note today. So uh, you'll notice it, it's, it, it works too in repetition. There's a few things that each day I kind of bring back into the message maybe, and repetition helps us, doesn't it? Helps us to remember. And uh, today's message, I've had the wonderful privilege, and I briefly shared this with you the other day, to be a part of the, the General Conference Revival and Reformation Committee. And to begin to see what's happening around the world as God speaks to His people, God desires desperately to have us revived, desperately to have reformation among our ranks. Now, North American Division, instead of the word reformation, is used transformation, which really, that's what it's all about. Be ye therefore transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so today we're going to talk about revival and transformation. It is our greatest need. What do you say? Absolutely our greatest need. Listen to what God's servant says. We have nothing to fear for the future except as we shall forget the way the Lord has led us and His teaching in our past history. 1844, you see, is a forgotten path. God wanted to come in and around 1844. He wanted to finish up the work in and around that time. I had not realized that until I began studying in more depth of God's great desire to take His people home at that time. We must now set before the people the work which by faith we see our great high priest accomplishing in the heavenly sanctuary. You'll notice this morning's message, I tend to highlight the year that a particular statement was made. Uh, kind of give us a little chronology as we're, as we're going along. But the message was the sanctuary. Our high priest moving from the holy to the most holy place. Our high priest taking the sins of the saints upon himself as the sins would go before those who had confessed them. Our high priest taking all those sins, our mediator taking all those upon himself. We're to watch our high priest go from the, the sanctuary or from the holy to the most holy place. Thy way, O God, is where? In the sanctuary. Who is so great as our God? David saw that there was a tremendous blessing by see, watching God in the sanctuary, by seeing God, by studying the sanctuary service, by, by integrating that sanctuary service into his own life. His teaching. Let, let's look at his teaching for a moment here. Light was to be given to their minds, directing people to the heavenly temple of God. And as they should by faith follow their high priest in his ministration, Light was to be given, directing their minds to the temple of God in heaven, and as they should by faith follow their high priest in his ministration, their new duties would be revealed. See, Daniel 7 talks about the, what God is doing in the sanctuary. Daniel 8, 14, of course, we know Malachi moving toward the second coming of Christ. Matthew 22, taking on the righteous robe of the king, looking forward to the wedding, the great wedding time. This was made in a statement in 1888. A great awakening commenced among the people. This is speaking now back to 1844. This is all looking backward toward that time. A great awakening commenced among the people. 
Many drunkards became sober men. Thieves returned stolen property and confessed their sins. Forgiveness was asked for wrongs done. A work was accomplished such as no preacher with learning and great talent could have effected. You see, when God comes in and touches a heart and touches a life, there is a transformation. People today many times say, oh, you just, you can't, you can't be changed. You can't be changed. It, it's just impossible. I had a friend, I still have a friend that uh, was in Pelican Bay Prison in California, maximum security prison. I didn't know him at that time, but that man had a rap sheet, at least 60 pages. 60 pages of criminal activity. He'd, he'd been in a biker gang, about uh, 240 pounds, lots of muscle, tattoos covered from top to bottom of his body. And somehow God reached into that prison cell and spoke to that man's heart and began doing Bible studies, and he had a transformation. Now, he is an elder in the Seventh Ad, I mean, a deacon in the Seventh day Adventist church today. Why is it people say, oh, but that's it. He can't change anymore now. He was baptized after that. Now he's in the church. Now he's got to continue, on, continue sinning until Jesus comes. Does that make a whole lot of sense? No, absolutely not. See, and, and God, when God speaks to hearts, there's a continual change. If there isn't a continual change in your life, there's a problem. You're not spending time with God and His Word getting to know him better because as you get to know him better you don't want to offend him no matter what happens even very de the death itself of life you would say no lord i don't want to sin i'd rather die than knowingly commit a sin against you that's the kind of relationship that god is looking for that's the kind of transformation god is seeking in our lives revelation 14 the three angels messages the loud cry, the latter rain. The latter rain and the loud cry are, are so closely tied together. We accept the former rain. Our lives are changed. Our lives are transformed. Then God gives us the latter rain power so that the loud cry might go to the whole world and then the second coming. But they got off track, totally got off track. For 40 years did unbelief, murmuring, and rebellion shut out ancient Israel from the land of Canaan. The same sins have delayed the entrance of modern Israel into the heavenly Canaan. Think about that. Children of Israel got right up to the borders of the Canaan land. God said, hey, it's time to go in and possess the land. Time to go in. Well, we'll send in spies, and the spies went in, checked out the land. Forty days they, they can see who is this. Wow, what do they got there? What do they got there? Man, they see two guys carrying a big old pole and one cluster of grapes. One cluster of grapes. It was so big. One cluster of grapes. Man, that's incredible. Can you imagine? It's kind of like when you get to heaven, say, hey, come on over and uh, let's split a grape. But God's word was true. It was the land flowing with milk and honey. And all the spies came back and said, yes, absolutely, God. God is true. God is right. It is the land flowing with milk and honey. But, in some of the worst words in all of Scripture, nevertheless, nevertheless, there's giants in the land. And in our own sight, we're like grasshoppers. Well, what was wrong with that? Yeah, in our own sight. They should have had God's view. You see, if you're standing on God's shoulders looking down, are there any giants? No, 
There absolutely are no giants. When you're standing on the shoulders of God, the king of the universe, there are no giants in the land. But they said in our own sight, we're like grasshoppers. Now you fast forward 40 years. You see, they couldn't go into the promised land. God said, okay, fine. You want your desires? Go ahead. Stay out here in the wilderness and die. 40 years later, they send spies again into the same land. This time the the spies stay at a prostitute's house. And I thought, you know, that bothered me once in a while. But then I thought, where better would you want to stay? Because there's people going in and out all the time, right? A couple more, couple more spies going in. Nobody recognizes that. No big deal. These fellows are, are in the top of the building. They're about ready to go to sleep. And Rahab runs up and says, hey, I want to tell you. I want to tell you. You know, and, and she, she recaps the history. We know. We know about your God. We saw when you came out of the land of Egypt what your God did to all of the Egyptian army. Forty years ago we saw that and said our, the, our, our legs basically smote together our legs and the, and the Hebrew word there is liquefied. Can, can an army of giants fight if their legs are liquid? No, it's impossible. It's impossible. And so this, here this pagan is telling them how incredible their God is how wonderful their God is, and it scared them half to death, and there was no strength left in any man. And please remember me, by the way. Now, go back to chapter 1 of Joshua, verse 3. Everywhere the sole of thy feet shall tread, I have given you. Now, all you English experts, you know, everywhere the sole of thy feet shall tread, that's what kind of tense? Future tense. I have given you, what kind of tense is that? Past tense. God had already given them the land. He'd already given it. It was already theirs. All they had to do is go in and take it. Go in and take it. And here in 1844, God was ready to take everybody home. And there's giants in the land. There's giants in the land. They'd lost sight. They'd lost sight. They quit looking at their God and they began looking at all the circumstances in all the situations. We, unfortunately, can do the same thing today. We can look at all of, our, all of our situation here on planet Earth, the things that do so easily beset us, instead of looking at our God, instead of keeping our eyes focused on our God. And He is bigger than every problem on planet Earth. In neither case were the promises of God at fault. It is the unbelief, the worldliness, unconsecration and strife among the Lord's professed people that have kept us in this world of sin and sorrow many more years. Wow. What were the problems? Unbelief, worldliness, unconsecration, strife. Why have we not gone home? Here's the problems. We pay so much money to go to the doctor for a diagnosis on what's wrong with us. The doctor has given us the diagnosis right here. Unbelief, worldliness, unconsecration, strife. And it's kept us here many more years. 1844 kept everybody there. Revelation 3, you know this, 14 to 22. I'm okay, you're okay. At what message is that? The Laodicean message. The Laodicean message, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of what? Nothing. I have need of nothing. I, I can handle it all. Man, I can take care of the giants. I'm cool. 
I'm sitting in church. I'm looking good. I'm feeling all right. I've got a pretty good life. Things, things here on earth aren't too bad. Wow. I've been shown that love for Christ and for God has well nigh died out of our churches. What a sad statement. God's professed people. Love for Christ and for God is well nigh died out. Those who rose up with Jesus now, they're talking about the sanctuary, watching what happened. Remember 1844 time period in here. Those who rose up with Jesus would send up, send up their faith to Him in the holiest and pray, My Father, give us Thy Spirit. Then Jesus would breathe upon them the Holy Ghost. Listen to this part now. In that breath was light, power, and much love, joy, and peace. There's another group, though. I turned to look at the company who were still bowed before the throne. They're still looking at the first apartment of the sanctuary. They did not know that Jesus had left it. This is the scary part. Satan appeared to be by the throne, trying to carry on the work of God. I saw them look to the throne and pray, Father, give us thy spirit. Satan would breathe upon them an unholy influence. In it, there was what? Light and much power, but no sweet love, joy, and peace. The devil breathed upon them, and there was light and much power. Whose light and whose power? The devil's, not God's. The devil's. He has power. Remember, we've talked about that. The war is real. The devil is real. He has tremendous power. And unless we are continually fixed upon grabbing a hold of God with our hearts, our eyes, our lives, we will stumble. We will fall. Had Adventists in 1844 held fast their faith and followed on unitedly in the opening providence of God, in the power of the Holy Spirit, there's, there's the key of how to do it, proclaiming it to the world, the work would have been completed, and Christ, what? Would have come, ere this to receive His people to the reward. Wow. Now, we can say, well, yeah, I'm happy that it actually didn't happen because now I get an opportunity. You know, right? We can be selfish that way. But uh, how much longer do we want to continue? How much longer do we want this old world to go on? If we could, I'm so convinced, if we could see sin and we could see the heartache that's going on in planet Earth like God does, everybody, every situation, we would crawl into a tiny corner and desire to die in that moment because we could not take it. That's how bad and filthy and rotten this planet is. That's how, how terrible sin is. But you know, sometimes in our corner, you know, we think, well, it's, it's not too bad. Yeah, I've, I've got problems, but, you know, it's, it's kind of okay. It's not, brothers and sisters, it's not. It's not at all. But praise God, God said, hey, it's time for a second chance. Time for a second chance. General conference sessions were held every year in those days. We're looking at the General Conference Sessions, 1888 to 1903. God again calls His people. God again calls His people. The time of test is just before us. For the loud cry of the third angel has what? Already begun. And the loud cry of the third angel is connected with what? The latter rain. It's connected with the latter rain. So the latter rain was beginning to be poured out because the loud cry was starting during these times of the General Conference Sessions. Now, 
has already begun in the revelation of the righteousness of Christ. This is so important. We've been studying about this this week. The sin-pardoning Redeemer. The righteousness of Christ was the, the message that everything else hinged upon for the people to understand and to accept. Now the brethren said, oh yeah, yeah, you know, we, we accept it. But they accepted one part of it. Remember, there's two parts. Justification. God takes His righteousness and clothes. Let me go back to Eden. Remember there in Eden. Adam and Eve blow it totally sin God is there with him he calls two little lambs over that are grazing nearby all of a sudden he does something strange apparently he takes a knife he cuts their throats they bleed to death he says Adam Eve this is death this is what you deserve never seen death before this is what you deserve and then he does something else he takes he takes and skins the lambs and gives them the clothing of the lambskins and says Adam Eve this is my righteousness I will come one day in the history of man. I will, I will earn the right. I will die on Calvary's cross. I'll earn the right to give you this righteous covering. But then he says, look, I don't want to leave you where you are. Totally, totally now filthy and polluted on the inside. And then he says, I'm going to put enmity between you and Satan between your seed and the woman's seed. Enmity. God living on the inside. Just sanctification. The changing from the inside. God wants us clean on the outside, and He wants us clean on the inside. What do you say? And who does it all? Christ. He did it there in the garden. He'll do it for you and for me. But we've got to work with Him. We've got to work with Him. And the brethren, the leadership said, Oh, yeah, we, we, believe, in, you know, we believe in justification. But sanctification? Yeah, you know. Romans 6 to 8 and 12 to 15, about 12 to 15.5, is the forgotten side of the same coin. You see in Romans, there's three chapters on justification. There's six and a half chapters on sanctification. Twice as many chapters on what God wants to do to change us now in this life. Amazing stuff. Be not conformed to this world, he says, but be ye transformed. By the renewing of your mind. We need new minds. Can't have the same old mind. Got to get rid of that mind and God will give us a new one. In Christ, divinity and humanity. This was another problem they had. They said, oh, Christ really wasn't human. You know, there, there are some other situations here. He wasn't quite like we are. In Christ, divinity and humanity were what? Combined. Divinity was not degraded to humanity. Divinity held its place, but humanity, by being united to divinity, withstood the fiercest temptation in the wilderness. How did he do it? He withstood the temptation through the power that man may command. That every one of you here today, everyone within the sound of my voice, can do it the same way Jesus did, through the power of God. The Lord Jesus has made a great sacrifice in order to meet man where he is. He took not on him the nature of angels. He did not come to save angels. Christ helps humanity by taking human nature. Very plain, very simple. But the resistance of the leadership began to grow. You see, Kellogg 
was about the third most important man in the entire denomination, and he wanted control of the denomination. He'd just written his new book, The Living Temple, full of pantheism, full of erroneous things, full of terrible things. And Ellen White is, is pushing against him, and, and Ellen White is, during that time of these, these general conference meetings, she's finding herself on an opposite side of much of the leadership. So what do you do? What do you do? Well, you get rid of the prophets. You look on the globe and you say, let's see, the furthest place away from here is clear down in Australia. The opposite side of the globe will send her there. And so they sent the prophet packing. Now Kellogg moves now to, to get his book printed with the Review and Herald, and the Review and Herald is going to do it. Going to do it. Remember, I talked to you about uh, Jesus and the painting that I have in my office, O oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered you as a mother hen gathereth her chicks? And you would not. You would not. The gathering mechanism is the prophet. Let's just send the prophet away. We want nothing of this counsel. We, want, we don't want to hear this counsel. We want control. We want the power. We want it all. I will ascend to the sides of the north. I will be like God. Where have we heard that? Yeah, same, same story over and over and over. And so the brethren began retreating again back toward Egypt. Why cross into the promised land? This land isn't too bad. If I can get a little more power here, if I can get a little more power there, if I can have a little more money, a little more control, this world won't be too bad. The light that is to lighten the whole world with its glory, was what? Resisted. And by the action of our own brethren, has been to a great degree kept away from the world. Oh, how sad. How sad. The opportunity, they worked and worked and worked. God, God spoke to His people time after time in general conference sessions, brought message after message of accepting Jesus, of repentance and all these things, and the brethren said, no. Oh. By exciting that opposition, Satan succeeded in shutting away from our people in a great measure the special power of the Holy Spirit that God longed to impart to them. We may have to remain here in this world because of insubordination many more years, as did the children of Israel. Written in 1901. Insubordination, that's uh, basically uh, uh, ignoring the captain, right, of the ship, mutiny against the captain. People are tried for that, for insubordination. Here we still are. Oh, that we had all listened as we should to both warning and appeal as they came to us in that seemingly strange yet impressive way at the conference of 1888. This is the general conference president, Daniels, now looking back on that time. What uncertainty would have been removed, what wanderings and defeats and losses would have been prevented, what light and blessing and triumph and progress would have come to us. Oh my, oh my. Looking back on that time. But we can learn from that, can we not? We have nothing to fear for the future except, as we shall get, forget. So, review our past history. There was a lost opportunity, 1844, the antitypical Day of Atonement. God wanted us to know that we could be cleansed from sin, washed and changed and transformed. But there was a failure to grow. The pharisaical attitudes of the 1870s, the 1880s, 
Kadesh Barnea, we're at the very, very borders of the Canaan land, and said, no, we'd rather wander in the desert. Second chance, 1888 to about 1903. Romans 12, 2, be ye therefore transformed by the renewing of your mind. And it was rejected. Kellogg's pushing for his new book, The Living Temple. Pushing, pushing, pushing. Ellen White saw in that book, had that book been taken up by the entire denomination, it would have destroyed the Seventh-day Adventist church as we know it today. There virtually would have been no denomination left. It was that insidious. And she saw, she said, the Omega was go- made her tremble. Now this is incredible. Here was the Alpha of apostasy and it would have destroyed the church as we know it. Yet when God showed her the Omega, it made her tremble. It made her tremble. There's something going on in our day, in our time, that made her tremble. And Ellen White sent packing. December 31st, 1902, God burns down the Review and Herald. The Alpha of Apostasy. It had happened. At the borders again. At the borders again. The latter rain was beginning to be poured out. The latter rain, I mean the loud cry was going out. And God's people said, no, 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 no. We're looking for the leeks and the onions of Egypt. Things are so good there. Things are so wonderful. I'd rather wallow in sin back there than enjoy all the fruits of what God has prepared for us. So they're left to wander in the desert for many more years. Soon, the last great reckoning with man will take place. Have your lives been such that you can then be weighed in the balance of the sanctuary and not be found wanting? Brothers and sisters, there is still hope. I've just put these dates down here, 2011, our time, to 2015, the general conference session time period. We have another opportunity. This could be it. You realize, third time's the charm, the old saying goes. This could be it. There is no reason. This cannot be the time that Jesus finishes the work among His people and He comes and takes us home. How many times do we get up to the borders of the promised land and turn our backs upon God and what He said? Everywhere the soles of your feet shall tread, I have given you. My biddings are enablings. When the will of man cooperates with the will of God, it becomes omnipotent. God has the power. What God is waiting for is your will. Just before the end, the Advent people will review their past history and see it in a new light. We must profit by the mistakes of our fathers, especially during the 1888 crisis, and see to it that we do not repeat them and thus further delay the final triumph of the Advent movement. Wow. You know, in 2 Kings 22:13, Josiah, you remember that, that uh, took the scrolls, found the, found the scrolls and said, wow, you know, we've got to get it together here. God God is angry with us because of our fathers. You see, our fathers, the actions and the directions they took have have affected our lives, caused us problems. We've got the same genes. But you know, God has never been 
God has never been one to allow genes to cause him problems. You realize that? You know, we, today, scientists and doctors give us all these excuses why we're alcoholics, why we're pedophiles, why we're this, why we're that. It doesn't matter with God what we are. God is a transforming power. If we give our lives to God, He can change us. A revival of true godliness among us is the greatest and the most urgent of all of our needs. To seek this should be our first work. To do what? To seek this should be our what work? First work. No matter what work you're doing in your life today, this should be your first work to get your act together with God because we are, we are, I state we are at the borders of the Canaan land again. Revival and Reformation are two different things. Revival signifies a renewal of spiritual life, a quickening of the powers of the mind and heart, a resurrection from spiritual death. God wants to resurrect you from spiritual death. Reformation signifies a reorganization, a change in ideas, theories, habits, practices. Boy, now I've gone from preaching to meddling, huh? You need to change your ideas, your theories, your habits, your practices. Reformation will not bring forth the good fruit of righteousness unless it's connected with the revival of the Spirit. You see, otherwise, it just works. And people, there are people who will just get going and works. We can't have just works. You've got to have the Holy Spirit. You've got to have God's Spirit. You've got to fall in love with Him so much. You know, I, I tell my wife, I don't really like taking out the garbage. But my wife loves me to take out the garbage, and I love her, so I take it out. Amen. I don't take it out because I want her to love me. I take it out because I love her. You see the difference? Amen. And that's the way it is with God. It's not a works-oriented thing. We just love God so much we're willing to do whatever God wants us to do. Amen. Unless it's connected with revival of the Spirit. Revival and reformation are to do their appointed work, and in doing this work they must do what? Blend. You can't have one without the other. 2 Kings 22, 13 and 14, the next thing he did, Josiah, when they got the scrolls, they saw the problems they were in, they immediately ran to the prophet. Immediately ran to the prophet, began inquiring of the prophet. You want revival in your life? Go inquire of the prophet. Read your Bibles and inquire of God's prophet. He sent the prophet for us for a very specific reason, to get us to the Canaan land. I hear people say, is there going to be another prophet before the end of time? I, I guess I wonder, why? Why? We, we've already got everything we need. God has given us everything, time after time after time. I shared with you the other day about the prophet. As she said, her writings will go on until the end. Everything is here. We've got it all. Everything we need to point us to Jesus Christ, we have. Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no vision, what? The people perish. This is one of those things. See, I, I had my sign up here today, put down pulpit mic after intro and special music. This is one of those, where there is no vision, the people perish. You've heard me say it day after day after day. We need a vision. Study the prophet. Read the writings of God's prophet. He wants us to understand these things. Believe his prophets, and so shall you prosper. I want to prosper. How about you? Amen. It's a promise of God. 
believe his prophets, and you will prosper. You will have an incredible spiritual life as you, as you read, as you absorb, as you pray over it, as you yearn to have a change in life, as you hopefully yearn to go home. Not just six feet under in a box, but standing there when Jesus comes because if you allow God to transform your life now and enough people do soon, then Jesus will come. We can hasten the day of His return. Do you believe that? We absolutely can. It's, it's prophetic. God has said it, and I believe it. And I don't care what they say, that is good enough for me. I hear all these people nowadays, that, you know, they just, the, the doctors, they just hate that bumper sticker, you know, the great theologians. God says that I believe it, that's good enough for me. They say, oh, that's so simplistic. Yeah, I'm happy to be simplistic. I'm happy to be simplistic because if the creator God of the universe who spoke everything into his existence, who, who keeps me breathing simply by his mind, then I want to believe what he says, whatever it is. This is the way God says, walk ye in it. Don't ask, just go. Just go because I have a great plan for you. I see the end from the beginning. I step in and out of time and I check it all out and I've got the best plan for your life. So I want to believe God. The very last deception of Satan will to be make of none effect the testimonies of the Spirit of God. That's the final attack. It is Satan's plan to weaken the faith of God's people in the testimonies. Next follows what? Skepticism in regard to the vital points of our faith. The pillars of her position. Then what? Doubt as to the Scriptures. And then the downward march to perdition. Say it with me. The downward march to perdition. So there is an opposite to if we want to be blessed by the prophet, if we want to prosper by the prophet, there is an opposite to that also. This is the opposite. This is the opposite right here. The final attacks, faith and works. The devil would love to have us have a little bit of faith in all kinds of just works. No, no, not attached to the power of God transforming us at all. Sabbath. There's a huge attack on Sabbath. You know, let's go water skiing on Sabbath. Let's take all of our youth water skiing on Sabbath because they want to. Yeah, it, it, unfortunately, it, it's so sad, you know. Sanctuary, oh, there really isn't a sanctuary. One conference president, one location somewhere in the world I won't disclose. Pastor came up to him. He thought he had a new call to this church. He sat down with the conference president. President said, do you believe in a sanctuary? He thought, you know, the first thing I, I thought was he was going to ask him about my relationship with Christ. But he said, that was his first question. Do you believe there's a sanctuary? And he said, well, of course I do. In Hebrews, and he went on and on and gave many biblical examples and, and spirit of prophecy examples. Then the next thing the president says, well, what kind of skins are on that sanctuary in heaven? And he says, I knew right then I hadn't received the call. And it went on and on and on and on and it got worse and worse and worse from there and it just disintegrated. Brethren, there is an attack. Of, if, if the devil can do away with the sanctuary, he's done away with the Advent message. Six-day creation, we know that's under attack. Well, certainly, you know, as an astute individual, as a, as a studied, learned individual, you can't believe in a literal six-day creation. Yes, we can. Can you say amen? Absolutely, we can. Revelation 14, three angels' messages. All three angels' messages. We just kind of need to put that aside 
Second coming, why it's been forever. It's been forever. We've heard about the second coming of Christ forever. Oh yeah, you know, uh, it's under attack, brethren. Spiritualism, spiritualism, it is incredible what's happening right now. In our own church, in our own church. Prayer labyrinth, you heard of a prayer labyrinth? You know, they're, they're making a big old circle, concentric circle, gets smaller and smaller and smaller into the center. And you walk around this and you pray at each little station in the circle. Have a little prayer, have a little prayer, have a little prayer. And it's, you're supposed to empty yourself, empty yourself, empty yourself so you can become one and centered with the whole universe of God. I'm not even going to go into all the details, but, but uh, let me tell you, it is frightening. Ellen White said we sh- says we should spend a thoughtful hour each day contemplating the life of Christ. A thoughtful hour, not a thoughtless hour. Keep that in mind. We need to fill our minds with Jesus Christ, not try and empty ourselves out and to be centered in the universe. Garbage. I used to be a martial artist. There was a time when I... I, you know, I'm a second degree black belt in Kung Fu San Su. You know, you have all these things, the key force, they're talking they're talk in our own church. There's talk the, the force, this force, the centering force. Spiritualism. Spiritualism at its worst. And the devil is bringing it into our church through Protestantism. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Follow God's word follow God's prophet and you will not be deceived the experience of the past will be repeated in the future Satan's superstitions will assume new forms errors will be presented in a pleasing and flattering manner false theories clothed with garments of light remember he's up there and everybody's looking up and think it's it's God and he gives them much light and power will be presented to God's people. Thus, Satan will try to deceive, if possible, the very elect. Which means everybody else will be deceived. He, Satan, therefore transforms himself into an angel of light and works upon the mind to allure from the only safe and right path. How many right paths are there here, according to the statement? One. One right path. The sciences of psychology and mesmerism are the channels through which he comes more directly to this generation and works with that power which is to characterize his efforts when? Near the close of probation. Near the close of probation. Now, brothers and sisters, today it is happening. I can tell you on a major scale. On a major scale. It is frightening. Most seducing influences will be exerted. Minds will be what? hypnotized corruptions of every type similar to those existing among the antediluvians will be brought in to take minds captive wow the protestants of the united states i never could figure out until i've been seeing this movement within our own denomination and in protestantism around the world i never could figure out this statement until now the protestants of the united states will be foremost in stretching their hands across the gulf to grasp the hand of spiritualism. And that threefold union, remember? And then that threefold union enters in the last moments of earth's history. 
It is right at our doors. It is here, brethren. We need to get our lives together with God. What do you say? If we look through God's eyes, we will see how many giants? No giants. We won't see a single giant. Not one. Let's see, how much time do I have? Let's see, all the clocks here. All right. It's in Bangladesh. Just before I got to Bangladesh, this young man needed to travel north that day. So as he was traveling north, he just felt this urge he needed to go home. But he continued north for a while, and pretty soon he... He turned around. He said, oh, I've got to go back. But he always stopped at his mother's house on this journey on his way back and had lunch or dinner or something. He stops at his mother's house. Mother begins fixing things. She says, no, I cannot. I cannot. He said, I've got to get back. Doesn't know why. Just got to get back. He continues on and pretty soon he, he, he gets to this village and he sees there's people everywhere. People, whole crowds of people around this lake. The one end of this little lake. He gets there and there's a little boy on the bank. He shoves his way through the crowd and looks at this little boy and they tell him the story that this boy drowned a couple hours ago. The doctor had been there, examined him, said he was dead. This fellow said, "Ah, no, I'm impressed. Bring me some hot mustard oil. And he, he got down, he began rubbing this boy, rubbing the chest of this boy and praying and rubbing his chest and praying and praying and continued to do this for two hours. Finally, the the doctor came back. The doctor re-examined the boy and said, no, he's dead. What are you doing? He's dead. You're, you're crazy. Just leave him alone. Oh, he said, I've got to. He kept rubbing the chest and praying and praying and praying. Another hour or so went by and all of a sudden, <coughs> and the boy sat up, was alive. And two huge Hindu villages in that area believed on Jesus Christ because of that incredible miracle. You see, God is a God of miracles. God can raise the dead. God raises the dead, brothers and sisters. He asked Ezekiel, you see all this this field of dead men's bones? Can these bones live? Ezekiel said, only you know, Lord. That was a good answer. And then then he says, I shall put my spirit in you and you shall live. That's what God wants to do in us. He wants to put His Spirit in us so that we can live, so that we can not only just eke out an existence, but have a vibrant life in Him. What do you say? I will give you, he says, a new spirit. A new spirit. Replace the old things of life. You know, we get, we get so tied into this life, we get such tunnel vision, and we think, oh, if I change here, if I change here, it's going to cause me these problems. And, and you know, that the stomach churns, the life goes back and forth. And oh, if we just relax and allow God to work in us, we would find that we'd become so much better. Amen. Remember the first morning I shared my testimony with you? I'm down near that, that old toilet bowl and I'm crying my eyes out because it felt so good. This huge weight had been lifted off my shoulders, a weight I didn't realize I had. Brethren and sisters, the devil has piled so much weight on you so slowly over the years. You may not recognize that there's even a weight there. But I guarantee, if you have not accepted God with all of your heart, 100% there is a weight there that is weighing you down, down, down. And when that weight disappears, it's going to be so incredible in your life. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. Now... The army surrounded Israel. You remember that time in A.D. 70? The army surrounded Israel. And what did all the worshipers do? Man, they ran to the temple. They figured the temple was going to save them. 
The temple will save us. But that was not the situation. You see, they burned down the temple, they ransacked, they tore it apart. And everybody was destroyed. And the, te- the temple will not protect you. Having your name on the church books will not protect you. Sitting in the church, keeping Sabbath will not protect you. Paying tithe will not protect you. It's a relationship with God. That's the only thing that will protect you in this life. That's the only thing that will fireproof us, if you will. Because God is a consuming fire, we study, right? He will consume everything that has sin. So you've got to get rid of it now. I've got to allow God to, to get it out of your life now. And as, as He does, as He goes through room by room, getting that sin out of your life, your life will be transformed. It will become absolutely exciting. Guaranteed. Then said the one unto him, Jesus. Now Jesus had just posed an incredible question. Lord, are there few that be saved? They just couldn't imagine. The Lord seemed like he was narrowing down the, the gates and the entrance to heaven to, to a minuscule thing. And he said to them, strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. There is a real difference between striving and seeking. You understand that? Strive to enter in at the straight gate. It's a battle and a march, we're told. A battle and a march. Day by day, moment by moment. When the devil whispers, you don't have time to study today. You don't have time to pray today. You've got to take your will and say, God, I want to have a friendship with you. Help me to spend that time with you today. Christ is waiting with longing desire for the what? Manifestation of himself in his church. Read this part with me. When the character of Christ shall be perfectly reproduced in his people, then he will come. Wow, can you say amen to that? When's he going to come? That's right, when his character is reproduced in you. He will come. You get tired of this old world? You want to go home? Here's the answer. Allow God to transform your heart, your life, your mind. what, What does all this mean, the manifestation of himself? It means following known duty. Here's where I go from preaching to meddling. It means following known duty. Every known duty that God lays out before you, it means following it. And never saying no to God. Never saying no to God. That's what it really means. And living Jesus' example, not my will, but thy will be done. That's what it means, a manifestation of himself. I'll give you a moment to just pause on that one and think about that one before I take a drink. Give you one more second to look at that one. Following known duty, never saying no to God, living the example, not my will, but your will be done. Zechariah says, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Asking the Lord reign in the time of the latter reign. Speak every man the truth to his neighbor. This is the Pentecostal work. It is the privilege of how many Christians? 
every Christian, not only to look for, but to hasten the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We all who profess His name bearing fruit to His glory, how quickly the whole world would be sown with the seed of the gospel. You see, we allow God to come in and change us, and all of a sudden we get so excited about it because there is an excitement when God comes into your life. You're just bubbling over. You're just bubbling over. There's a song like that, isn't there? Bubbling over. And, and all of a sudden, you've got to share with someone else. You've got to share with someone else. And this pretty soon swells in a loud cry as everybody in this room, everybody in the church begin to share and tell everybody, guess what God has done for me? And then Jesus will come. He will cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain and the latter rain. Here's, let's connect the dots real quickly. Daniel 8, 14, living in the investigative judgment. That's the time in which we live. Malachi 3, we're heading toward the second coming. Matthew 22, the wedding garment. Are we prepared for the wedding? Revelation 3, 14, but sleepy virgins, you know, yeah, we're kind of, we're, we're rich and increased with goods. We don't have need of anything. But the book of Romans, don't forget, two sides of the same coin, justification and sanctification. God not only wants to clothe us with His beautiful, righteous robes, He wants to live in us and transform us too. Joel 2, transformed and then filled by His Spirit. The latter rain. In Revelation 14, to the whole world goes the loud cry. And then the second coming of Jesus Christ. Those before us wandered in the desert far longer than God had planned. Let's learn from them and do what? Go home. Sometimes I think, Ellen White says, I can stay here no longer. All things of the earth look so dreary. I feel so lonely here for I have seen a better land. Have you seen a better land this morning? Have you seen a better world? The little, the little boy, uh, I'm going to call him Johnny this morning. Johnny, Johnny was beginning to learn how to play uh, Monopoly with his grandmother. He, he, he liked the game. And the best thing he liked about the game, how many in here play Monopoly? It's okay. It's a, nobody will chide you for playing a little Monopoly, at least in the past, before you were transformed. Amen. Now, he loved to play this. Man, he counted out the, the ones, the fives, the tens, the twenties, and stick them under the, the board. And then he loved to roll the dice and go around and go and do what? Yeah, some of you have played collect $200. Oh, he loved that. He liked that. And he, but, but then, funny thing, he noticed that as, as time went on, that, that Grandma began putting these, these houses on these different properties and things, and he had to pay rent. He didn't like that because he had to pay his money out. And pretty soon, all his money's gone. And he gets so upset. He gets so excited. And Grandma would say, Honey, honey, what, Grandma? Honey, one day you'll understand. Oh, Grandma. Well, he went off that summer to, to wherever he was going with his mother, and they stayed all summer. And while he was in this area, he found someone who played really good Monopoly. And he said, man, you've got to teach me how to really play well. And he played every single day, all day long. And he got so good, by the end of the summer, he was doing very well. And he couldn't wait to get back to see Grandma. Man, he, Grandma, Grandma, open the door, Grandma, Grandma, Grandma. Got there, Grandma. What, honey? Let's play Monopoly, Grandma. Oh, well, okay, honey. Man, he ran past her, ran in, grabbed the, grabbed the board. Out of that, he counted out the money. There, there's no playing around with the money now. This is all business. He counts everything out. 
and he's ready to go. They roll the dice and they're going back and forth and pretty soon they both got houses and lands and, and the railroads, everything else. Things are going back and as you know, that game ebbs and flows for maybe hours and they're going on, but pretty soon, pretty soon, he's getting a few more dollars and he's getting a little more and a little more and a little more and he's doing good and pretty soon he's got it all. He's got everything. He beat grandma and he jumps up and says, I beat you, grandma, I got it all. And he's got his fist full of money. He says, I got it all. I got the railroads. I got the land. I got the houses. I got it all. Grandma says, honey, honey, what? What, grandma? Says, honey, one day you'll understand. What do you mean? What do you mean, Grandma? What do you mean I'll understand? Honey, when the game is over, it all goes back in the box. I guess I don't need to tell you what the significance of that is, do I? I had a, I had a daymare one time. You know, a daymare is, uh, is a little opposite of a nightmare. You know, you're, you're awake. And I thought, wow. There I was, woke up. The resurrection. And man, it's the resurrection. I'm out of the grave. And there's, there's this being standing in front of me and says, you know, I, I resurrected you and we can take that city. Oh my. Wrong resurrection. Wrong resurrection. Brothers and sisters, I don't want to wake up if, if for some reason I die before the Lord comes. I don't want to wake up in the wrong resurrection. How about you? How about you? There is nothing, there is nothing in this world so important as to lose out on eternal life. Can anybody give me anything that is more important? No. I'm glad to hear everyone is silent because there isn't anything. And if that is the case, if there isn't anything then what is hindering us from allowing God to totally change us so we can go home? It's time. Do you want to go home with Him? Let me see your hands this morning. Amen, amen. Let's have a prayer. Father, we desperately need You. Lord, this whole world has called us so many times, and we've been up to the borders of the Canaan land. We've looked across and seen it truly is a land flowing with milk and honey, but we've been so weak. Please, please forgive us. Lord, help us. Help our unbelief. Help our selfishness. Help our Laodicean attitude. Father, wash us, cleanse us, make us white as snow, and then, Lord, change us from the inside. Give us victory, Father. Give us us that new, transformed life of Jesus Christ living within us moment by moment. Father, we want to become like you. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for caring for us in such an incredible way. Lord, in my own life, if I had been you, I would have done away with me a long time ago. But I thank you that you are the God of second chance. Each one here, Lord, give us another chance now. Help us to follow you completely and fully. From this day forward is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.